Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. We're going to be in verses 20 through 25. We're going to talk about answering why. Answering the question why. My favorite thing to do as a kid was when my mama or my daddy told me to do something uh, and I didn't want to do it. Sometimes the great distraction was, but why? right? You need to go do this. Why? So-and-so doesn't have to do that. You can't do this. Why? So-and-so gets to do that. I need you to go clean your room right now. But why? Why right now, right? Why, 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 why? Why? Kids are always asking why. I was that way. My kids ask why. It's just kind of the way we're wired, but it's also human nature, right? We live in a culture um, that's constantly asking why. Why do you believe what you believe, why do, you, why do you think that's true? Why do you make the choices that you make? Why do you live that way? Millennials and Generation Z, uh, the generation after that, that is, as they've been termed, um, are asking a lot of why questions, right? And so they, why, why are things the way they are? Why do, you, why do you think I should be a Christian? Why do you believe the gospel? Why do you believe Jesus has risen from the dead? If you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you're going to get those questions from kids, uh, the why questions around the Christian faith, ultimately at some point. But just living in this world that we live in, in the culture we live in, we're all getting these questions. And, and today's message, we're not going to take an apologetic angle for this. I mean, there, there are times to get into that, right? And to defend the resurrection and defend the sufficiency of Scripture. But today, we're going to be talking more about the motive, the heart motive of answering the why, of why we follow and know and love and obey the Lord. And we're, we're always supposed to be ready to give an answer for that. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for a reason, right? For the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we need to be prepared always to talk about why. Why we are Christians. Why we live the way we live. Why we order our lives around the Lord. And in fact, we're supposed to live in such a way that begs the question of the hope that is within us, which is a whole other issue. And in Deuteronomy 6... um, God is sharing with his people here what to do when their children ask why. Not why do I need to clean my room, but why do we obey God, right? Why, why do we obey all these rules? Why do we have all these rules, and why do we care so much? Like, what's the point? Or to put it in our vernacular today, why do we go to church? Why, what is that all about? Like, why, why don't we do some of the things that these, why do we believe this? Why, why are our values what they are? Why do we do things this way? Why do we do all this stuff? And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25, that's what Moses, that's what God is getting into here, is dealing with that. And the principles that we're going to take away here are are really principles that apply to each and every Christian this morning in terms of just how we answer the why of our friends, of our neighbor, and of our culture. And the the idea is is that we need to be able to share our God story. And the story behind what God is doing, has done, and will do in our lives. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 through 25. Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25. When, not if, but when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? What's, what's the meaning of all this? The law and the, the rules and the sacrifices and all the different, what's the point? What's the meaning? Verse 21, then you shall say to your son, 
We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Let's pause for a moment and remember the context of Deuteronomy 6. This is our last week in this, in this chapter. And at the beginning of the chapter, God has told them to pass their faith on to their children. And we talked about that the last couple of weeks, last week in particular. And he told them to talk about the law and the routines and the rhythms of daily life. It was to just to be a part of, uh, absorbed into all that they do. And now he comes back to it and he's given more information. And, 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 and what we kind of skipped in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is God warns his people. He says that they need to beware as they go into the promised land that they've been waiting on of forgetting him when they get to that promised land. He says, you're going to have houses that you didn't even build. You're going to have all this stuff that's going to be, it's going to be good for you. It's going to be a profitable time. You're just going to have lots of stuff, lots of abundance. And he says, you need to beware that you don't forget about me, that you don't forget where you've been and forget what I've done and forget that all this stuff is not stuff that you came up with, but stuff I have given you. And you start worshiping, he says, the the idols of the land. You, You need to beware of that because it's easy to become spiritually distracted in a land of material abundance. Uh, that's just human nature. If we don't purposely pass our faith to the next generation, we and they can go adrift and become Take up and take up um, the idols of the culture that we live in. So, if you want your kids, for instance, to care more about comfort and security than the mission of God, then take up the idols of our land. Well, we don't want that. We don't want them to be so self-sufficient that they see no need for the grace of God either, right? So we have to we have to be strategic and purposeful about passing on our faith. And Moses understood. Uh, and God understands that kids ask questions. They want to know why. What's the meaning of all this? And people are like that too, right? Adults are no different. Our culture, as we said earlier, is no different. We want to know why we do the things we do, why we live the life we live. And in this passage, God tells them the, to answer this question by sharing the story, the redemptive story of what he has been doing in their lives. They need to share that redemptive story that God had brought them out and brought them into this new land. And it's no different for us. Uh, we've got to be ready to share God's redemptive story of what he's doing in our lives. And there are four principles here that should guide us as we share our stories, whether it's with a lost neighbor, whether it's with a, an uncle, whether it's with um, a coworker or our kids or our parents or, or whoever it may be. These principles should guide um, how we share our stories, okay, and this redemptive story of what God's doing in our lives as Christians. Number one, the first principle is our story, your story, should reveal personal experience. It should reveal a personal experience with God. He says, you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. He brought us out of Egypt with the mighty hand, right? Pharaoh and all his household, all this happened before our eyes. He's personal pronouns, right? Now, in this case, it's corporate. Moses was sharing with the people that had actually experienced the events that that had taken place here. This was their story. And corporately, it was the story of God's people. It's part of our story now as the corporate people of God. These stories are our stories. And the story being recounted here, of course, is the story of the Exodus. The Exodus. 
You might remember God raised up Moses to lead his people out of slavery. Right? Uh, over the course of time, uh, Joseph um, had, take, had gotten favor uh, with, the, with the Egyptian Pharaoh. A big famine strikes the land, and God uses that to move the Israelites towards Egypt right, in Goshen, right outside Egypt, and they have favor right there with um, Pharaoh. But then Joseph dies, and another Pharaoh, you know, that Pharaoh dies, and another Pharaoh takes over. He, at some point, Joseph's not really remembered. He's not, he's not somebody that, that they knew, and they kind of get intimidated by the people, you know, and they say, you know what, we're just going to make them our slaves, right? They can be useful to us, and we need to make sure that they don't outpopulate us and, and take us over. And so then Egypt, excuse me, Israel finds themselves enslaved over the course of time to the Egyptians, and they remain in that state for 400 years. And then God raises up a man by the name of Moses, and Moses, God uses him to come in and to lead the people out of slavery. And he does this through a series of plagues, miraculous signs and wonders that God does. The last of which, as you might remember, is they're fleeing after the death of the firstborn child, that, that plague that happened. They're fleeing, and, and Egypt's like, get out of here. And as they're going, they change their mind. Like, you know what? We kind of want our slaves. And so they begin to go after them, and they get to the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea. Israel walks through on dry ground. When Egypt tries, Red Sea crushes them, right? That's the exodus. They exited out of Egypt, and God brought them from slavery into freedom. And that's the story. He's saying when you tell them why you keep the law, when you tell them why you obey God, you start with reminding them what I've done for you. He's framing it in the context of redemption. Framing it in the context of redemption. And he's making it very, he tells them to make it very personal, right? This is your personal experience. And this story, the story of the Exodus, really began to shape the identity of the Israelites. It, it was the story that informed their identity. I mean, it was proof that they were God's people. God had chosen them, not the Egyptians. <laughs> they passed through on dry ground, the Egyptians drowned, right? It, 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 was a, it was a sign and a foreshadow that this is the people of God and God is for us. And so their identity was very much rooted in this redemptive story, much like ours is today. Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, you have a personal Exodus story. The Old Testament Exodus story, it points ahead to a greater Exodus, right? Moses points ahead to a, to a greater Moses, one greater than Moses, the Lord Jesus. And ultimately, we know that's what that story was pointing to, is how Jesus would lead his people out of slavery to sin, out of slavery to death, out of slavery to hell, and into, into a new reality of eternal life with him, and ultimately, in the grand narrative of it, a new land, a, a new heaven, and a new earth. That's what that Old Testament story is pointing to, a, a greater reality, something a greater exodus, and each of us who have experienced personal faith in Jesus Christ and put our faith in him and his death, his burial, and his resurrection to save us, we have a story of how we were slaves to sin, to self, to death, and how God set us free in Christ and brought us out of one place and brought us into a new place and a new reality. You have a past that God brought you out of. You have a present that God is working in. And you have a future that is secure. You have a personal experience with God. Your, your personal story begins to inform your identity, right? You know you're a child of God because you've been adopted into the family of God. And that happened at a point and place and time when you personally placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we share God's redemptive story in our own lives, it reveals that we have a personal experience with God. Or it should. 
It, it shows to people that God is not just a concept for us. He's a person, right, who's, doing, who's actively at work in our lives and can work in their lives. See, we're not simply a people who know about God. We are a people who know God, right? Um, the way we talk about God and our experience with him should reveal that we know him, love him, and have spent time with him, right? That, that we have experience with God. It's like um, when doctors go to, to train and get their education. They don't just learn everything in a book, right? At some point, they have a residency. At some point, they get some hands-on experience, right? And in the same way, listen, Christianity is not just about knowing what happened in the book, Right? You, you, can, you can, Jesus said what? He told the Pharisees, he says, man, you know all about the book and you think somehow that the, the, the life's in the book, but the, it's pointing to me and I'm the one who gives life, right? And so we can know all about Christianity and we can know all about what's in the book, but the real question becomes, have you experienced what the book talks about? Have you experienced God? Have you experienced salvation through faith in Christ? That's what people want to know about. It is that we have a personal experience rooted in, in the scriptures and what the scriptures explain as conversion. We all should have a story. And your story should be, I was lost, but now I'm found. And he found me when this. And there's something about that story that's unique and particular to you. Since then, my life has been different in this way. And all of our stories are different, and all of our stories are the same. Uh, there, are, there are ways that your story and your experience with God is unique to you and to you only. And there are ways that it is just like my story. And my story is just like your story. There's a commonality there. We all came to faith in Jesus Christ at a point in a place in time, realized our lostness and our need for him. When that happened, how that happened, what our experience was like before Christ, who God used, and what God's been doing in our life since then, and the trials we've been through or the temptations we've faced, and all, the, all those things are different. But a faithful God and one gospel unites all those things. Do you have a personal story that shares your personal experience with God? Do you talk about God with your family and with your friends and with your kids like you know him? Do you talk about your personal experience with him? Do you have one? Do you have a testimony, right? Do you have a story? And that's where it all begins. It shows that you have a personal experience with God, that he's not just a concept. He's not just a character in a book. He's the living God. Second principle is, your story should magnify God's saving power. Your story and my story, our stories should magnify God's saving power. He says this, he says, you should say this, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We, we were slaves, and the Lord, Yahweh, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. When you read this story, who is the hero of the story? It's very clear that God is the hero of the story. Moses isn't the hero of the story. Israel's not the hero of the story. God's the hero of the story. Yahweh is. He brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. We were slaves. We had no hope. It was all God. He rescued us. See, they talked about God like he was the hero. He was the one that did the saving. Imagine if the story would have been this way instead. Well, well, kids, at one time, we weren't as free as we are now. We lived in this place called Egypt, and we weren't in the best of situations back then. Then one day Moses showed up, and, and Moses saved us. Yeah, he was a great leader. He did magic tricks and got us out of that place. And we ran out of there, and they chased us. And then we got to the Red Sea, and man, Moses, with all of his magic, he was able to open that sea for us. And I guess it, and it, was, it was an amazing thing. And well, when they tried it, they, it swallowed them up because obviously we're better than they are. That's, I mean, 
there are elements that you could twist that story and you could say, yeah, I mean, Moses was used in this and that and the other. But man, that God has told them to share the story in a way that it really ain't got anything to do with Moses. Uh, but it, it highlights the miraculous nature of God and what God did and how God saved them. And the story does not magnify Israel over Egypt. The story magnifies God. See, our stories should magnify the Savior, not us. They aren't magnifying Moses. They aren't magnifying themselves. It's the miraculous nature of God. See, we don't need to spin our stories and lives to make us look better. But that's our nature, right? That's our culture. Our culture is we're constantly trying to spin our personal narratives to make ourselves look as good as possible. That's, I mean, that's basically all social media is. It's us writing our personal stories for all of our friends to see and doing it in a way that makes us look as good as possible. I was thinking uh, the other day about LinkedIn. Who has LinkedIn? Anybody in here have LinkedIn? Who's got LinkedIn? A few people have LinkedIn, five, six, eight. Okay, several people have LinkedIn. Some of us, you're like, what is LinkedIn? Okay, it's, social, it's a social media app. It's one that's more career-oriented. But when you go on there sometimes and you look at somebody's LinkedIn, and they'll be endorsed for certain things, right? And so if you looked at mine, it might say endorsed for Bible teaching or public speaking. And all these different people can in, in, endorse you. Like somebody's in marketing or they've been endorsed for marketing and, or sales or business leadership and consulting and all these different people. And they'll say they have 40 endorsements for this thing and 30 endorsements for this thing. And not once have I come across there where it's like 40 people have endorsed this person as a major jerk, right? Doesn't happen. 35 people have said this person is horrible at their job. You know, it's like none of the, it's all crafted in such a way that everybody's LinkedIn page, they look like an expert, right? On everybody's Facebook page, they look brilliant. On everybody's Instagram, they look like the perfect family because we like to craft our narratives in a way that spins it so that we look kind of perfect. But see, here's the thing. Our stories, we know aren't that clean and aren't that perfect, and they're not supposed to magnify us. They're supposed to magnify God. We're supposed to actually look and sound like a people that needed saving, that needed a Savior. We have a past that God saved us from, and it's okay to tell your kids that you were and would be lost without him. We need to make sure God's the hero of our story, and more specifically, Jesus. You know, I've heard people share their testimonies that can talk about salvation and the name of Jesus never be mentioned. And I wish I could say that's only happened a time or two, but it happens a lot. They so tell me your story. Tell me how you became a Christian. And they'll hem haul around, and they can take 10 minutes, and the name of Jesus never be uttered from their lips. And listen, that might be a story, but that's not a conversion story. If Jesus is not in the middle of your story, saving your wretched soul from your sin, you might have a story, but it ain't one of conversion. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying Jesus shouldn't be an afterthought, right? He shouldn't be something like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course, Jesus. No, he's like the story, right? He's supposed to be like the very center of our story and how we came to faith, because we came to faith in what? In him. He's the hero of the story. I can't tell my story without Jesus. And the testimony Without the gospel, without Jesus, is just a story, but it's not a conversion story. And listen, you can magnify God's saving power in your life without glorifying your sin, which is a whole other issue. People need to know we're lost, but they don't need we're, we're lost, but they don't need to know every broken, sinful, spiritually dead habit that we committed. They don't need to know every gory detail of your past, but they do need to know that you're a lost person in needing of saving and that you still need a savior today. As parents, for instance, our kids need to know that we're a huge mess without Jesus, that we don't have it all together. 
If we have to appear so together for our families that we can't tell them we'd be a hell-bound mess without Jesus, then we might be doing a lot of things, but Christian parenting ain't one of them. Jesus should be the star of the narrative in our families and in our lives. And our friends and families and neighbors and all these people need the same. We need to share our story and our testimony and make sure it's a testament to the saving power of Christ. We are not a people who can simply explain what grace is. We're supposed to be able to show that we are a people who have experienced grace. Number three, third principle. Your story should highlight God's enduring faithfulness. Your story should highlight God's enduring faithfulness. Look at 23, verse 23, chapter 6. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. So he took us out of one place, brought us into a new place, and give us the land, and here's the key phrase, that he swore to give to our fathers. So God brought them out to bring them in. He saved them from something and to something. God did not just make them no longer slaves. He gave them a place, made them a people. All of this was so that he might give them the land that he swore to their fathers. In other words, God was keeping a promise. He's keeping his promises, and he was being faithful. His faithfulness was enduring over the course of generations even. And they were to share that, that there was a history here. That God had been faithful to his people for generations. That they had to wait. Yes, they had to be patient. But God had not failed them. That there, that there are things that he had promised long ago that had just now come to pass. But they had gotten to see it. They had gotten to see the faithful hand of God. And our children and our grandchildren, and our nieces and nephews, and our neighbors and our families, they need to hear how God saved us. They need to hear about his power to deliver us from sin, death, and hell. But they also need to know that he's trustworthy, that he's faithful, that you can count on him. And our story should reveal a God who has kept his promises, enduring faithfulness. The, the gospel story in and of itself is the story of a promise kept. Do we we think about it that way? Nothing highlights God's faithfulness like the message of him sending Jesus into the world to save us from our sins. Jesus' birth, death, and and resurrection is a kept promise, right? Uh, That starts in Genesis and and plays out all the way in Isaiah and all these other places in the Old Testament. comes to a culmination in the New Testament. It's an example, the chief example of the faithfulness of God. And our kids and Family members need to hear stories of God's faithfulness. They need to hear how we've seen God keep his promises to us, not only in the gospel, but in our lives. How we've seen God be faithful to us, to his word, time and time again. In other words, they need to hear about our present experience with God. How we've seen him work in our lives over time. That's a testimony that points to the reality of our relationship with God and the reality of his present work in our lives. More than a concept. We know that life is hard, and sometimes you go from the pinnacle in life to the pit pretty quick. You look at Israel, their story's that way. They had went from favor with Pharaoh to slaves in Egypt, but God had been faithful, and his promises were kept. So don't be afraid to share your stories of how you've had to wait on God and how you've had to walk through trials and pain and found God to be faithful in the midst of that because those stories draw people into the narrative, into the story, because they're going through junk too, and they would like to know about that there's a God that'll be faithful to them too. So we need to highlight God's faithful nature. We should speak of God like we know him and just trust him. And just, I mean, it's just, of course he's faithful. Not in a way that, that's trite and doesn't act like we've had to wrestle and struggle with things, but in a way that just kind of like, yes, I mean, I've just, I just know that he's a God who keeps his promises. I mean, we're enjoying this wonderful cold weather today, right? 
I rolled my eyes for those in the back, right? This ain't cold weather. I mean, other places, like 17 degrees or whatever. It's like, I don't know, 60-something degrees out there. But for us, this is fall, right? This is as good as it gets. And, and, uh, but in the, when you're in the middle of the seasons, and it's a, it's a, a, you know, growing up, we'd have these 32-degree days. That was a pretty cold day for us in North Alabama where I grew up. I never wondered, like, is it going to get warm again? Like, I, I just didn't... Over time, you just begin, now maybe when I was five, I did, but as an experience, you just kind of know at some point, everything's going to change, right? Things are going to grow again. Weather's going to warm up. I just kind of begin to, I knew from science textbook, right, about the seasons, but I knew from experience as well. And so I didn't want run, run around wringing my hands, wondering if the snow was going to melt and if the sun was going to come out and all that sort of stuff. And same thing when you go to bed at night, right? You just kind of assume the sun's going to come up in the morning because you have this, more than science, you have an experience. It's the same way in our relationship with God. We need to be able to communicate that, yes, from God's word, we just know that it's true that God's faithful. God, gospel tells us that, but we also need to talk about it in an experiential way to be able to share with our neighbors, our friends, our children, our family members that we have experienced his faithfulness and not be afraid to share those stories. Here's the fourth thing, the fourth principle. Your story should point to God's supreme authority. Your story and my story should point to God's supreme authority. Look with me at verse 24. He says, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Who did? The Lord. To fear the Lord our God, to fear him for our good. It's our own good that we do this always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we're careful to do all this commandment before who? Before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. The authority behind what's going on here, why they do what they do, is clearly Yahweh. It's the Lord. He's the supreme authority. It was the Lord who had saved them and kept his promise to them. It was the God of grace that they now reminded them to obey. God's commands throughout the Bible are framed by his grace. You see it in the Old Testament law. When you look at when the Old Testament law is given, it's in the context of the Exodus and God's redemptive story. In the New Testament, we see this when you read. You can open up an epistle like Philippians or Ephesians or whatever, and you'll see a lot of do's and don'ts in there, but they're framed in the context of what God has done in his grace through Jesus Christ. And as this section closes, though it's, it's, it's very clear that 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 the person that, that's the authority figure in the narrative is Yahweh, and he is to be obeyed. He is to be obeyed. He is the one who is saved and rescued, yes, and, and, and he is to be obeyed. Our great God who saved us commands us, as he says here, to fear him and to obey him. And he pulls no punches. He says it'll be good for us if we do that. That hasn't really changed, right? It's, it's, it's better to live life according to God's design than to not live life according to God's designs. And I want my kids to know that they don't need to love and obey God simply because I tell them to uh, or, because, or just because I do. Uh, they, they don't need to find this to be true just because I find it to be true. They need to do it because he's God, because it is true, and he's the ultimate authority, not me. He's in charge. Jesus is Lord, not me. And life works better if we obey God because he's the one that designed life and created life. See, our lives and our stories and our testimonies that we share should, in the end, reveal that we recognize and obey God as our supreme authority, that Christ is Lord. He's the boss. We obey him because, because they're his commands, 
He's the one on the throne, not me. So listen, like for instance, think, think about it this way. Our neighbors need to repent and believe the gospel, not simply because we believe it to be true, not because it works for us. They need to repent and believe the gospel because it's literally their only hope and they're going to look Jesus in the eyeballs one day and give an account for their lives. Even the gospel that we proclaim is rooted in the fact of the authority of God. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, what did he say? He started with this. All authority has been given unto me. (laughs) I have the authority to charge you to do this, and I have the kind of authority that everybody is going to give an account to me. Go preach the gospel. Go make disciples. It all comes back to who's in charge, who's in authority, who are we going to give an account to? And as a word to us parents, Our authority with our kids is rooted in God's word. He's the supreme authority. And they should obey us and listen to us first and foremost because that is God's design and God's plan for them, not simply because we know better. We and they are both under authority, right? Uh, I'm not, it's not just my children who are under authority. I'm under authority. I'm under God's authority. So our kids need to listen to us, not because we're always right or because we're perfect. My kids need to listen to me because God commands it. And I want them to know that. The, the, even more so because I'm daddy and I say so, because God commands it and says it's best for you in both the Old and the New Testament. That rule stays the same, right? It, it's rooted in the authority of God. So, for instance, the fact that you have a story this morning and you have experienced God's grace, that you've seen his faithfulness, The fact that you still need his grace today and that you need a faithful God because you've been unfaithful to him and to others. Those things don't disqualify you from being a parent. You don't parent, and I don't parent from perfection. We parent from grace. And you don't parent rooted in your authority. You parent rooted in God's authority. And it's not wrong because of your experience. It's wrong or right because of God's word. So don't chicken out of dealing with hard issues because maybe you did something foolish when you were a teenager. And it has nothing to do with that. And you hear that from parents sometimes, right? They're afraid to step into, especially when the kids get to the teen years, to difficult issues and to coach them and tell them and direct them and what they should and shouldn't do because they look at their teenage years and think, I was a fool. Well, okay, don't let them be a fool, right? Our parenting is rooted in the authority of God and the scriptures, not just in, in our personal experience and the great choices we've made. It's true for our neighbors as well. When we're sharing the gospel with people and we're pointing people to Christ and, and, we're, and we're helping people make wise choices and we're pointing them to God's design, it's not because we've lived perfectly according to it. Uh, the gospel's authority does not come, it's not rooted in the fact that uh, of my personal experience and how well I've lived under the rule of Christ. It's rooted in the fact of Jesus has risen from the dead, and he's God's son, and all are going to, heaven and earth are going to give account to him. So it's rooted in the authority of God. So let me ask you this morning, does your life reveal that God is your ultimate authority? Do you share about God and about Christ and about your story in a way that points to God as the ultimate authority in your life? With your kids, with your friends, with your family? Or is God... Treated more like an optional add-on? Or is he talked about in a way that is real? In a way that all are going to give an account to him? See, if you're, if you're in Christ today, you have a story. You have a why. 
for why you value the things you value, live the way you live, and do the things you do. And that story should reveal a personal experience with God, that you know him personally, that you've encountered him. It should magnify God's saving power, not your sin and not your well-doing and not your morality, but his saving power. It should reveal God's enduring faithfulness and show that you're someone who needs a faithful God, and while you've been unfaithful, he's been faithful. And it should point to God as the supreme authority. And and those principles can be applied to parenting. They can be applied to your personal testimony at work. They can be applied to your neighbors, your grandkids. But it's just a way to answer why. Here's why I am who I am. Here's why I do what I do and don't do some of the things you might wonder why I don't do. Here's why I live the way I live. Do you have a story this morning? Have you encountered the God who saves? Is God a concept? A character in a book, in a novel? Or is, is, to you, do you understand that he's alive and that he's saving and have you encountered him through faith in Christ? Have you, have you understood your lostness and have you understood Christ's redemptive work and have you turned away from your sin and embraced Christ as Lord and Savior, his death for you and his resurrection? Are those realities or concepts? Or have you experienced salvation? Have, do you have a story? And believers, every single one of us have people in our lives that we want to meet God and to have their own story. Kids, family members, spouses, co-workers, neighbors. We want to see them saved. And, or, we want, or maybe they're saved and we, we, we feel like they've gotten away from the Lord. We want to see them in church, whatever the case may be. And we want to see their story changed by the God who changed our story. Then we have to get busy. We have to get busy inviting them into the story of what God's doing. Taking our story and, 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 encou- and, and encountering it with them and, and, and sharing with them and letting them understand that the God who has and is changing us can change them. We've got to cast off apathy and cultural distractions and we have, to, we have to live our faith and we have to live it outside these walls. On December the 8th, we've designated that day as a sort of, for lack of a better term, like a friends and family day. Here's what it is. It's invite day everybody's always invited. We're always encouraged to invite our friends. But this is the day where if you've got kids or you've got grandkids or you've got neighbors or you've got a coworker or you've got family that you would like to see in church and, and they don't really go to church, they don't have a church home, and you're all, maybe you've talked around it a bunch, maybe you've said you should come with me sometime, this is the day where you're going to say, on December the 8th, if I need to pick you up, if I need to meet you out front, if I need to take you to lunch afterwards, whatever it is, come with me that day. That morning, we're going to have breakfast here um, at, 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 during our normal Sunday school hour, and then, and, then at worship, and then, we'll have, then we'll have worship together. It's a great opportunity for you to invite somebody. You don't have to invite them to breakfast. They might hate that. They might say, let me sleep in. But it gives you an opportunity for more discussion if you want that. The point is, let's engage in that day. Let's engage in that day. All of us, uh, many of us filled out cards at the beginning of the year and said, here are people that I know that are unchurched or who, who are not Christians that I'm praying for. Please, please pray for these people with me. That's the day to invite those people. That's the day to invite those people. Imagine how different things could be if you got every single person in the room, got one person here. One person. One person. We've got just a few weeks to do it. One family. Who would be the person that you're going to invite? Who do you need to be praying for and need to be invited? Don't wait till December 7th at 6 p.m. to text them and see if they want to go to church. Start today. Starting, hey, I want you to make plans on December 8th. Now, starting next week, you'll have invite cards and things like that that you can take with you as you'll leave. So you'll have a couple of weeks to get those in people's hands. Uh, we're even doing a, um, 
random act of kindness card. So if you're in a uh, drive-thru and you're going through the line and you want to pay for somebody's Chick-fil-A behind you, you can pay for their Chick-fil-A and you can t- tell the attendant, would you give them this card when they do? And it'll say, you've experienced a random act of kindness. I hope by from somebody at North Park Church and I hope that it helps make you have a brighter day. And it'll have church information on the back of it. We'll have the standard invite card to December the 8th. We'll have all that available starting next Sunday. The question is, will we employ them and will we use them? only way for North Park, for us, to go forward as a church in this community and in this city in a way that makes a difference is through personal, tangible invitation. We can mail the world. We can email the world. We can do all sorts of things. People will only come if we personally touch the lives of the people we're personally connected to. It's the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. It's the way it will always work. That's how God works. He's going to work in this city through his people, to reach people that we're connected with. And so the question is, will we embrace that? Will we embrace, can we come together for one day to make an impact on December the 8th? As we kick off our Christmas series, we're going to be doing a series called uh, Family Tree. We're going to talk about genealogy of Jesus and what that tells us about us and the unique way God has used some unique characters that are in the genealogy of Jesus. Everybody's family tree is a little weird. So is Jesus's. He's got some weird situations and some weird stories in that family tree that we're going to look at starting December the 8th, uh, stories of God's grace. Let's pray together.